Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday. It's October the 12th. I'm looking at the clock. It looks like we are on time here at 0930, give or take a moment or two. 0930 Eastern Time. That's 830 here in Texas America. Still dark out right now in Texas America. A little bit overcast. Hope you guys are having a good week so far. It's been kind of strange. I hope that you got a little bit of enlightenment out of yesterday's podcast. Yesterday, we talked about the fact that there is, in fact, a an attempt, I think, by the mainstream media and by the institutions of power in this country to recapture your attention and recapture your trust. And they're doing it in a very nefarious way. They are going out and they are getting your emotions tied in. We talked about the amygdala. We talked about the part of your brain that short circuits some of the logical thought processes, and it gets you involved in an emotional and aggressive and irrational sort of grab job. And that is what this, this war that's going on right now is doing for a lot of people, in fact, many of your neighbors. And you may have to be the person that helps dissuade them in the same way Hillary Clinton wants to deprogram you from being a MAGA type or being a conservative. <laughs> you may have to be doing that for your friends and neighbors to let them know, listen, regardless of what happens in Gaza, regardless of what happens over in Israel, regardless of what happens in Ukraine, it's just not affecting you at home the way that uh, prices are at the gas pump, the way that your grocery bills are, the way that um, some of the actual news that's going on in this country and may actually directly affect you, things that can actually happen within a, a one-day drive, not a, a two-day plane trip. Those things are the things we should be talking about. And so we're going to be talking about two concepts today. One of them is the concept of opportunity cost. I say it all the time, but I realize that sometimes uh, I say things that I know about and that are familiar to my lexicon, but may not be something you talk about with your friends and family. So I want to dig into it so that you have a good handle on it if it's not something that you deal with on a daily basis. And the other thing is something you're probably very familiar with, but it's called sleight of hand. And I'm going to tell you why the two of those are going hand in hand with the news cycle that's happening this week. Like I said, we had a strange week. It started on a Saturday because of a war that kicked off. And um, the interesting problem with a war that is emotionally triggering to people is that the first casualty is the truth. Pretty much pretty much always. The, the reporting that has come out of Israel and come out of Gaza has been suspect. The videos we're founding out, we, we debunked one the other day, CNN is debunking them. Uh, there's all kinds of emotionally triggering reporting but all of it is suspect at this point, at least from my end. And then, like I said, there's an opportunity cost that we're going to discuss as well. So before we get too deeply into that, I want to say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote, our sponsor. There they are right there. Catholic Vote, this is today's loop. You can see it right there for October the 12th. I'm going to uh, call your attention to an interesting article in there. They talk about all the things that we talk about in here, little short things about Gaza, pieces about uh, lawmakers concerned about the ties to Iran, and the money that we've given. That's no surprise. They're talking about the speaker race, which obviously is still ongoing. Steve Scalise apparently is the, the first person who's going to receive some votes up or down, but uh, not sure if he has the votes. There were people that were arrested at that Riley Gaines event that we showed you the other day. Uh, but the one I wanted to call your attention to is that there is a congresswoman who is calling out the EEOC, that's the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, and they are revising a rule, a proposed rule for the, for abortions, sorry, abortions to be covered under the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. So this is an ongoing fight. These are some of the opportunity costs, which we will dig into, the opportunity costs of you paying attention to things that happen half a world away. 
All right. Without further ado, I want to get started on here. Let's talk about what opportunity cost is. I was first introduced to that term in an economics class, and this is why not everybody has taken an econ class and not everybody has, uh, has gone through and sat through that kind of uh, knowledge transfer. An, an opportunity cost is a fixed cost that means that your time and your resources are finite. You only have a certain amount of attention. You only have a certain amount of money. And when you spend your money, let's say, on a car, you may not be able to spend that money on a new hot water heater because you've already spent it. The opportunity cost of buying new car and setting up a car payment is monthly repairs on your house. That $400 cannot be spent on another $400 expense somewhere else. And the same thing exists in your mind. And it's not a thing that is necessarily an economics principle, but if you were to say, focus in on a war that's happening half a world away, that time that you spend, that emotion and that uh, intellectual resource will not be usable for something else because you've just spent the, the cost up front on one thing and it is now spent. It cannot be spent again. That time can't be gotten back and you won't be able to use it to deeply invest in what's going on in the speaker race or what's happening with gun control or why our vice president or sometimes referred to as president Kamala Harris by uh, the current president who doesn't know where he is, that you can't, you can't invest that time somewhere else. You've, you've lost that ability. And so today's show notes even say there's a concept known as caveat emptor, which is to say buyer beware. As you spend your intellectual resources, as you spend the things that are going on, the, the neuron transmissions, the calories you burn, thinking about one thing, you cannot be thinking about another thing at the same time. Um, I know some of the women out there are thinking, no, I do this all the time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a multitasker. I'm able to think about multiple things at once. Well, I'm going to say... You can't. You actually can't. Your ability to focus on one thing at a time is pretty well documented. Now, women, if you are able to focus your fractionalized attention on different things at a time, what I would say to you is, the same thing my father used to tell me, it just means you do everything a little bit shittier. <laughs> so if you notice that the one the one topic specialist on a single item, that's how you end up with a PhD, let's say, in a very specific form of science, it's because you have honed in and you are now an expert on one very minute, specific topic. And that comes at the cost of being good at a lot of things. Think about some of the smartest people in the world that they have no common sense. Why is that? Because they're not worrying about how to cross the street. They're not worrying about, hey, can I time the lights when I'm driving home so that I have the shortest commute hour? They're too busy trying to figure out just the amount of light refraction that happens in a particulate laser beam that they are trying to focus in on some topic so they can, uh, I don't know, honey, I shrunk the kids you. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Rick Moranis here, who was kind of like the classic 90s bumbling, bumbling, uh, nutty professor type guy, right? Uh, one of my buddies claims to be that kind of guy. Fails at simple things, handles very complex things. All right, so opportunity cost is a real concept that I want you to consider as we look at what's out there. And there's an opportunity cost for the editorial pages of all of the mainstream media. I like to go and see what is CNN covering today? What is CBS covering today? What is MSNBC and NBC and ABC and all the others? What are they spending their resources on up front? Because when they hit you with their main webpage, there's only so many things that you can see. And there's only so many things that you're going to digest. And whatever they put on that page, that's what they're spending their capital on. And whatever's not on that page is an opportunity cost victim, and it's going to be relegated somewhere else. So let's do a pull up of um, CNN's webpage. If you'll show me the whole page here, Ryan, I'm just going to talk over it. You can put me in the corner or not. It's sort of irrelevant. This is what we're seeing. The main piece 
that CNN is going to tell you is happening today. The U.S. will always side on Israel's side. This is uh, Anthony Blinken. He's the Secretary of State. They're going to show you more of these pictures. You know, people that are in Gaza that are suffering, Israeli troops that are getting ready to go and invade, all the different, you know, human suffering. It's just a mixture of, of emotional appeals. That is the lead piece. On the far side, we see that Steve Scalise may not be able to get a speakership. He may not have the votes. So there's that little piece. Uh, there's a little video lure. They're trying to get you to talk about what's going on with Jim Jordan and Jake Tapper because there was a little thing there. There's an emotional appeal on the far right-hand side talking about um, death was a blessing for a young girl, getting text messages, all of the emotions. Let's scroll down just a little bit, if you would, on this page because I want you guys to get an idea. The opportunity cost is, keep scrolling. These are all, all emotional, Gaza, Israel. Okay, now we get down. Okay, that's ads, so go back up just a little bit. Right there in the middle. Okay, so what are we what are we also going to do? They're also going to hit you with things that are totally un, unrelated to anything, but these are the bleeds at leads type stories. A woman accused of killing an elite cyclist attempted to escape custody. Is a female who killed a cyclist going to be a real threat to your life? Probably not. Uh, Mary Lou Retton suffering some health concerns. She's not very young. That's also not. None of these things are going to hit the topics that I think are what they're hiding. So let's do the same thing for C, uh, CBS's page. We're going to do that, and then we're going to get into what what did we not cover when we were talking yesterday with you because some really big things have been happening this week, and they are not getting major press. Let's go to topic number two, if you would. Uh, CBS, there's CBS doing the exact same thing. What are they telling you? Gaza war updates. I'm not surprising you. I looked on these pages. Nothing on the front pages of the main newspapers are covering this topic. Let's pull up topic number four because this is what I want to get into. And here it comes. Boom. This is coming from NBC. This was below the fold. This was way off in the distance. Let me set up my cam here. All right. What does it say? Star witness from the FTX head Sam Bankman-Fried told her to commit crimes and misled lenders. Carolyn Ellison, former co-CEO of Alameda Research and the ex-girlfriend of Bankman-Fried. Do you guys remember Sam Bankman-Fried? The weird-looking, floppy-haired, super genius. Apparently, he was going to be the uh, the new J.P. Morgan. He was going to be the the king of crypto because he set up this incredible exchange called FTX. I know Ryan knows about Sam Bankman-Free. We were talking about it yesterday. In fact, he brought it up. You know what's going on with that guy? And I said, "Isn't that funny?" His girlfriend testified Tuesday and on Wednesday. Okay, and what did she say? Some of these things are really wild. Quote. Sam directed me to commit these crimes. Mm. She says that Alameda took about $10 billion from customers who had put their money in the FTX exchange and traded digital currencies. She said Bankman-Fried also set up a system that allowed her to move the money so that she was able to get it out. They were taking money from customers. This is a straight Ponzi kind of pyramid type scheme. They took a bunch in, they leveraged their, their balance sheets, and they were able to give that money back out. And where did it go? In some ways, none of us actually know. Her testimony follows FTX co-founder Gary Wang, or perhaps Wong, if he actually pronounces it the Chinese way, who was also a witness for the prosecution. Both were charged in a series of financial crimes in December. All these guys are basically, you've got um, the girlfriend, Allison, you've got um, you've got this guy, Gary Wong. They're out there trying to testify against Sam Bankman-Fried to be able to save their own skins. They were charged in a series of financial crimes in December. Ellison pled guilty already for two counts of wire fraud. Two counts of wire fraud for billions of dollars, by the way. Two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which is the same crime. Uh, conspiracy to commit commodities fraud, slightly different crime. Conspiracy to commit securities fraud. 
and commit money laundering. So all these things going out there. So we had what should be the financial trial of the century. And instead, what we have is coverage wall to wall of a war effort that is most likely not going to touch U.S. soil in any meaningful way. We'll talk about uh, the so-called day of jihad in a little bit later. So stick around the show. You're going to you're going to get all that. Sam Bankman Freed faces several several charges. There's a total of seven wire fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, same as the others that have already done. Could put him away in prison for life. I don't know if any of us think that's going to happen. He's uh, and, and then you've got the girlfriend there who's, like I said, going out and laying it out for her. She said that Alameda owns 60 to 70 percent of the supply of the coin, which costs nothing to make because there's nothing there. The coin has no value. Right. And when the market price rose from 10 cents to 50 dollars, they gained billions over nothing. They leveraged these assets. They were pulling as much as $5 billion out in personal loans to company insiders. This was an incredible ability to fund what? We know that he was funding Democrat causes. We know that he was deeply involved, the single biggest donor in the last election cycle for the Democrats. And that's only what we know about in the money that we could see. I think it was like $40 million was being listed. I'm, I'm confident if they were pulling out $5 billion, yeah, they lived on an island and all the other stuff that was going on. But do you think that he wasn't trying to buy this? There's some also some really interesting sort of um, pieces out there. They're testifying that he thought that he could one day become president and was building up a war chest for that. That's pretty wild, right? So um, Ryan is the guy to talk to. I'm sure he will cover a stream on this pretty soon. So if you're not following Ryan Matta Media on Twitter or Ryan Matta Matta Effect on his LFA TV, he talks about crypto all the time. If you guys want to get deep into the crypto world, that's the place to go. There he is. Gives you the thumbs up. Ryan, why are we both in you great? Know, he was, why are we both in I great? I don't know, man. I was trying to copy your style, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't planning on looking as good as you this morning. But uh, Sam Bankman fried was actually trying to pay President Trump $5 billion to not run for president. That story broke a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you've seen that video. I played it on LFA last week, but he was trying to pay President Trump. He was trying to raise enough money and f see exactly how much he would have to pay President Trump just to not run. In 2020? Yeah, in 2020, yep. Or, or in 2024, I don't know. He was I, trying to buy I him out of the race for this, this upcoming race. So I think so. And, and the guy was pulling enough money out where he actually was able to do stuff like that. Such an interesting thing. Another opportunity cost. I didn't see that story, but it doesn't make a difference because... That's what they're trying to do. This is literally proving the point. And some of this stuff is done through a, a mechanism known as sleight of hand, right? You guys are familiar with uh, table musicians, musicians, magicians. That's a hard one. Today, mu uh, magicians are, are constantly giving your attention to one thing. <laughs> they're playing on opportunity cost. What they do is they show you something, right? But in the background, they're doing something else. They're hiding a card. They're moving something. They've got a, um, they're directing your attention at what they want you to see, where all the movement is happening. And slowly they're sliding in whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish for the trick. And we're all, we're all guilty of this. Unless you are a trained observer who knows to look where things are not going, you're going to get taken in by sleight of hand. It's, it's fun to be, to be charmed. It's fun to be uh, deceived. That's why we like these things. That's why... Uh, magicians have always been sort of a uh, curiosity, I think, for human beings. Well, you, somebody does a magic show on the street, you'll walk up and watch it. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to use your brain's power of opportunity costs to not see the thing that is happening right in front of your eyes. And, and it misleads you in a way that is fun and charming, except when it is going on in a news cycle where they are actually hiding the ball and they're hiding people like Sam Bankman-Fried. And like I said, what should be the financial trial, at least of the decade, 
because what this guy did is totally unprecedented. The numbers that we're talking about are beyond comparison. And a lot of people lost their life savings. They were putting money into crypto. They didn't understand what they were doing. Whereas these people both understood it. And as they're proving in court right now, they were doing it maliciously in order to pull cash out of a this, this fake asset that didn't even exist. Very scary. But also, it's basic human nature. It's basic human nature to be deceived, but it's basic human nature to also not know that you're being deceived unless you know to look for it, right? And, uh, and actually, interestingly enough, our background is blue. If you ever look, uh, magicians tend to have blue curtain backgrounds, and blue is the most volatile, it's the, the highest energy wavelength of light that comes out, and it's also the thing that allows your eye to be tricked most easily. I don't know if you knew this, but you'll often see shimmering curtains behind because it actually hides things like wires and all the sort of hidden movements that go on when magicians are doing tricks in front of uh, people. They've stopped doing that as much now. They have better effects. But historically, that was the way people always did it because the eye can be more easily fooled when there's a high energy wavelength. The more energy that's coming at you, the more easily you're tricked. And that happens both in a physical way, that's literally with blue light. But it also is metaphorically when they are sending all this high emotional energy at you, like we talked about yesterday, triggering the amygdala and your brain is less able to handle the truth that you're actually seeing. That is a that is a heavy, heavy point, but it is worth knowing that every single time that you are evaluating what these new cycles look like, what is it they are covering up? What is the opportunity cost of the coverage that you are seeing? And we all have a limited amount of time. I always tell people that I have no problem promoting anybody else's podcast or any of our friends or anybody else's Twitter handles and things like this. I don't mind because it's not a zero-sum game. We're not all trying to win and there's a finite amount of audience. But there is a limited amount of attention that we all have. And so I don't get to listen to my buddy Dan Bongino's podcast every day, mostly because I'm doing mine. And I hear it a couple times a week. I still know what he's about. Uh, I, get, I hear from you all, but we all have that opportunity cost. As long as we're aware of it, as long as we know that it's out there, then we can act accordingly and know that we don't have the full scope of information. It's very important to do that. And um, and one of the things that was covered up too, if you pull up topic five, I actually was going to cover this yesterday. This was something that was being pulled away. This is something you guys didn't hear. Trump dipping into the internet conspiracy. This is all below the fold, by the way, at uh, at NBC's yesterday coverage, and they've kind of dropped it off today. They don't want to get into it as much. They were they were testing the water to see, hey, is this interesting to people? And uh, and they and they ducked it down. But Trump basically said that he thinks that Obama is running Joe Biden's presidency, that he's the guy in the earpiece. How many how many months? How many you know in the last two years have you guys heard that from people on the right? That Joe Biden, there's no chance in hell that the guy is actually running his own presidency. And it makes sense. It's Obama term, you know, 3.0, right? He had one term, two terms. Now this is the third term of Obama-type policies. They're following all the same uh, markings. They're trying to reinstate the Iran deal. They're giving pallets of cash to Iran, or they're releasing huge amounts of money to Iran. We're seeing conquests that happen. Russia went in in 2014 and, and took a piece of uh, Crimea, and they went into Ukraine. They've done it again. Like, we're seeing a lot of the same stuff. This is not really an internet conspiracy, in fact, I think it is probably more true than anything else. But Donald Trump saying it is sort of where they always go. It's always this Republican pounce thing, which many conservatives can see. If you say something that's obviously true, then you're you're clearly the problem. Um, ain't that something? Ain't that something that they didn't they didn't cover this thing in a big way? They didn't try to debunk it in a big way. They just kept the emotional thing coming at. And if you happen to touch it, if you happen to go scroll far enough down below the fold, this is what you saw. Not there's allegations 
that Joe Biden is not actually running the White House. It's more along the lines that Donald Trump is, in fact, calling out conspiracies again, which tries to debunk him. And they love trying to debunk Trump and they love trying to debunk the uh, the RFK thing. We'll talk about that in a second here, too. But uh, let's go ahead and throw up my friend in the merch category. Here's my buddy Garrett O'Boyle's website. Oh, go go full screen for me, if you would there, Ryan. The dash suspendables, T-H-E, a dash sign and suspendables. You can check out the merch store. You can support my buddy Garrett. You guys have already seen this. What do I have? I just did an order. I ordered almost everything. I ordered the uh, the shirt with the with the rifle and the, and the plume, which I really really like. That's his his Substack logo, the last line Substack, which you can check out. There's the PT shirt. I ordered a smaller one. Why? Because um, you know I don't like a loose fitting PT shirt. I like to look kind of uh, more jacked than I am. It's a it's it's a it's a vanity. I'll just accept that. I've got the RU suspendable shirt coming in another color. I got a bunch of Ranger panties. I think I posted this on um, on social media. And you said, Kyle loves freedom. He ordered four pairs of Ranger panties. Ladies and gentlemen, I have probably 20 pairs. I just wanted four pairs that have suspendable stuff in case I'm going to wear my going out shorty shorts. Uh, skies out, thighs out is the motto that we used to have when I was active duty. I've got the uh, suspendable or die in a smaller format. And as you guys know, you can get a special merch bundle if you type in my promo code. Why am I not showing up there? There it is. The Suspendables lapel pin. Get three of them, add three in your cart, and you're going to use promo code Kyle. You're going to get free shipping and 30 bucks across the board. You get three for 30, like I said, two, one for you, two for a friend. Um, do we have that video? Let's see. We have a video of my friend Owen Schroyer. I was on InfoWars yesterday. I was on InfoWars, and uh, I handed one of these pins over to Owen Schroyer. And you all can see him wearing it. He, he did it in his show just after I handed it to him. So the next time up, he was on his show called War Room. Let's play video number five, if you don't mind, Ryan. We'll just, uh, the, the content is not as important as just look at that, that handsome looking pin that he's wearing on his lapel. Video five, if you would. People couldn't believe it. Literally, there are people standing on the court saying, you're not going, they didn't say USA is criminal. They didn't say chanting USA. They didn't say talking about the election would send you to jail. And it's me and a bunch of my friends are like, no, like that's the reality. And they're like, yeah, right. And we show them the stories, we show them the videos, and they're like sitting there with their jaw to the floor like, like what? I thought we had a First Amendment. And it, it, can you imagine? And they're looking at my face, and they know me, and they're like, you're about to go to jail for, for two months for, for your speech? I'm like, yeah. They're like, where's your show? I, I got to learn more about this. I'm like, yeah, you know, the country is a lot more corrupt. We're living in the most corrupt times in American history, and uh, it's undeniable now. So there it is, right? There's Owen Schroyer. He's a really good guy, by the way, in person. I really like Owen. Um, he is facing jail time right now. He's going to be doing 60 days in a, in a penitentiary, Federal Bureau of Prisons in Louisiana, which is sad. Not good. But you did see what a, what a handsome looking pin he's wearing there on that lapel. Uh, he's a sharp dressed guy. And now he's even sharper with Garrett O'Boyle's swag pin, the suspendables lapel pin. So check that out. All right. So some of the opportunity costs that we we're talking about is things that are going to directly affect you as an individual things that will get in the way of your personal liberties and freedoms. I'm not talking about your tax dollars getting deferred to Ukraine. I'm not talking about your tax dollars going to support a war effort in Israel or Gaza. I'm saying things that will come into your house and actually be a real problem for you. I'd like to pull up topic number six there, Ryan, because what is our vice president, old Kamala, thank God for her, what is she all about? And there it is. Tweeted out yesterday. I'm sorry, this is tweeted out days ago, but this is actually just now relevant again because we're going to play you a little video. There's a, a little video circuit that's running around from Colbert. She said, in my role overseeing the new White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Do you guys remember this? 
Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Is that a thing the White House needs to be doing? Are they involved in gun violence? Were they doing gun violence? Is there governmental gun violence that needs to be prevented? Maybe. Some of you guys saw the FBI kill a couple people. Maybe they're trying to stop the FBI from shooting people. You think? She said she led a conversation with cabinet members on gun safety. I'm sure she's a total expert. Kamala Harris, former AG of California, an anti-gun place that is not solving anybody's problems. It still has incredible violence in various parts because they have an open border and cartels and things. She said uh, they got to figure out what must be done to save lives and secure the right of all people to live free from gun violence. You guys remember that in the Bill of Rights? You remember that part where it says that you have the, li- the right to live free from gun violence? I think that's the Second Amendment. It says you're free from gun violence. No, it's not. It says you're free to carry a weapon and do what you need to do protect yourself. Let's play this video here, which I thought was very interesting. It's video number four. Uh, This is coming off Colbert's show. It's coming off Colbert's show, and it's one of the representatives from Tennessee talking about how they're going to save it. This this was promoted by David Hogg, so you know it's good. Let's go ahead and run that video and see what's going on with gun violence prevention. What is what what will what will it hope to do? And I know prevent gun violence, but it, but sort of is there anything analogous in the government yeah. right now that it would, might be modeled on? Like what? Yeah, it has three main missions. Number one, to uh, speed up the implementation of what's called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. What is that? Well, last year, Congress, for the first time in 30 years, passed the first piece of gun violence prevention legislation. There's a lot of money in there that can be given to cities and and nonprofits across the country to help end gun violence. We want to speed that process up. So they're working at doing that. Number two, they're managing the president's portfolio on gun violence and figuring out what executive actions can we take. As you said, Congress can't do anything right now. And honestly, even if we had another Republican speaker, we probably wouldn't be passing legislation on gun violence because it seems like they're okay with kids being mowed down in their schools. And so the president said enough is enough, created this office, and part of what they're going to do is figuring out how do we pass through executive action good things so that way we can end gun violence. And the third one is, look, when these shootings happen, um, there needs to be an apparatus that comes in and helps the community heal. We might move on when it's outside of the news, but at the end of the day, who doesn't move on? It's the community and it's the families. So they are working to act sort of like a FEMA, right? After a natural disaster, how do you go to these communities and help them rebuild and bring people along on this fight to make sure it never happens again? Yeah, that's what we need. We need a presidential portfolio on gun violence. Is that part of the executive office that you guys expect? Is that what you expect from your president to have a portfolio on gun violence prevention? And apparently many of you are probably Republicans. I am not. I'm a uh, an independent, but I understand the lean towards being a Republican. And apparently you all are OK with children being mowed down in schools. That was just casually dropped there on national television. Republicans have no problem with children dying. You know, it's funny to hear that from somebody who doesn't have children and from a group of people that are really interested in mowing down babies by the millions hundreds of thousands and millions in abortion. I don't feel like you have a lot of legs to stand on if you want to start lecturing me about gun violence, which kills very, very few people statistically. I told people many times, look, I own a bunch of guns. I've got probably close to six figures worth of guns, Um, not six figures in guns, but dollar value. And I said this, if it was the only thing that was keeping us from children dying in the world, if you got rid of all the other things that get rid of kids, you know, uh, pools are killing them and, um, you know, obesity and and diabetes are a problem and drunk drivers and, and heart disease and whatever else is going on. And it was down to that. It was down to gun violence is the last. It's the biggest cause of death at this point. 
We could talk about it. We could have a discussion about whether whether guns should be taken out of this country. We're not even close to that time. So everything else is a non-starter for me. You want to address things in order? I'm interested. If you're not, you're a disingenuous talking head and you're casually dropping that people who are conservative or Republicans are interested in having children mowed down when we're the only ones with children. I'll give you a little uh, insight. You guys probably have the same feeling. I own guns because I have kids. I carry a gun everywhere because I have children, because I'm responsible. I'm my own first responder, and I'm the one who's going to step in the gap if somebody decides to threaten my babies in public. The end. Full stop. There's nothing more to that. That's why I have them. Same thing for my wife. It started when I got married. That was the biggest thing. It's like, who's going to step in and protect these people other than me? That's my job. I train for violence. Many of you do as well. Many of you have spent time training for violence. And speaking of violence, let's get a little bit weird. Some of you are hearing this. We were talking about whether or not we're going to see a, uh, a, a invasion over our southern border with George Hill. I don't think that's a possibility, but there is a small possibility that this guy spikes a little bit. Let's go topic number 10 coming out of the New York Post right now. And a pretty weird story, I think, but it's going to make more sense in a minute. X. Hamas chief calls for the Islamic world to stage global protests against Israel on Friday. Well, that's a nice way of saying death. What did he say? Former leader of Hamas called on Muslims to stage global demonstrations in support of Palestine, urged Arabs in neighboring countries to take up arms against Israel. That's not exactly uh, global protest. When you start taking up arms, we usually call that war. Khalid Mashal, he served as the Hamas chief from 04 to 2017, called on the Islamic world to stage protests in the streets and in the squares of the Arab and Islamic world on Friday. That'll be Friday tomorrow, Friday the 13th, which is a day that has some, some historical significance. He lives in Qatar. Yeah, He serves as the head of the Hamas diaspora office. And he said to all scholars who teach jihad, to all who teach and learn, this is a moment for the application of jihad. Do we have a video of this man speaking? We do. How about video number two? Let's see what this guy's all about. Do you think there's any kind of coincidence that they're interested in trying to get your guns away again? And then you've got this kind of violence in the street call for actions. Let's go ahead and do video number two and see what this gentleman has to say. Starting about 10 seconds in, Ryan. Oh, it's a blank. It, 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 keep going. It, there's audio here in a second. So this is just saying that he's talking about the uh, a dream come true. <laughs> أبا إبراهيم يحيى السنوار سلام الله على كل من أعد وحضر وقدم وجعل هذا الحلم يتحقق على الأرض صنعوا هذا المجد. Some of you guys are seeing this and you're going, oh, okay, well, you're watching, you can read along with us. But if you're listening on our audio channel, you are like, what in the world are you playing there, Kyle? Let's play that again with no audio. I'm going to read the transcript of what this guy is saying. And uh, like I said, start about 10 seconds in. We'll see. There's a little bit of an intro. They tell you that this is a dream come true, this opportunity, a dream come true for Hamas to engage in jihad. Um, kind of scary, kind of a, kind of an interesting call. Uh, to, I think Friday, tomorrow, may be a, a day of open carry in the United States. Go ahead and run that video, if you would, with no audio. And we'll, we'll just read through the transcripts there, Ryan. So again, it's called A Dream Come True. He refers to himself as a senior Hamas official. This is from palwatch.org. says, Allah's blessings to all of you, all the people, all the heroes. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Allah's blessings to the Islamic Jihad. 
the Al-Quds Brigade and all their heroes. Mm -hmm. Allah's blessings to some other guys. It's always that, isn't it? Isn't it always about like uh, praising God? It's always about praising God when they're about to call for violence. That's kind of interesting. So he calls out all these different individuals. These are all different senior Hamas leaders. And he says, Allah's blessings to everyone who's prepared, organized, arranged, and made this dream come true. They brought about this glory, which was the invasion, obviously, that happened in Israel. That's pretty dark. That's pretty dark in a big way. His uh, his statements, which are covered further in the New York Post, there's a whole bunch of like little, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of paragraphs that they flash on the screen here, and it's all basically saying how awful Israel is, and they've done all the things. And I'm sure that Israel has done some terrible things. There's no doubt about it. They've been in a protracted conflict for quite a long time, okay? They've been dealing with uh, a hostile force next door, and as my buddy always likes to say, if uh, if Israel, if uh, sorry, if the Palestinians laid down their weapons, there'd be peace, and if the Israelis laid down their weapons, then there would be no Israel. As we're seeing, they're engaged in conflict with both Lebanon and Syria, and you know the Egyptians are not exactly opening their borders to all these Palestinians. Why? Because they don't want a bunch of these people that have been in the so-called open-air prison coming into their space. A lot, of, a lot of things going on there. Like I said, an emotional triggering event. But uh, interestingly enough, this guy is he's in an interesting seat. Because he's incredibly wealthy. You'd think that a man who got kicked out of a country that is full of people that are poor and that are being ravaged by the these evil Israelis, as they want to say. Well, let's pull up uh let's pull up topic number eight, if you would, Ryan, because I think this is good times. Now, the source may be a little bit suspect, but I've got a second source for you as well. This is from uh, en.globes.co.il, which is an Israeli news source. It says, Meet the Hamas billionaires. Billionaires. What? says, among the Palestinians, they will tell you straight out, I want to get rich. That's why they get into the leadership of both the PLA, which used to be the the uh, political authority in Gaza, and then uh, also currently with Hamas. It says, one of the big mysteries is how Hamas leaders, the Arab world's new tycoons, how much they're worth and how they're born and raised in refugee camps, but then are raised aloft on the cause of their people's welfare, become so wealthy and so reclusive. They all leave Gaza. I was told that you can't leave Gaza unless you have what? I guess if you have a couple billion dollars, you can probably bribe your way out. So we've got senior lecturers from different uh, departments, academic departments have been looking into these. Most of them are former Israeli military because that's where their obsession is. It says the vast majority of Hamas founders and leaders were refugees or second generation refugees. And some of them were the products of marriages between Egyptians and Palestinians. They had no money at all. But when they and Hamas were just starting out. The organization was nurtured by the Israeli military, which fostered Islamic associations working inside the Gaza Strip as a counterweight to the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which used to be the political force in Gaza. Their phenomenal wealth started accumulating when they decided to disassociate themselves from Israel and start searching for alternative financing sources. The money comes in from other Arab states and funds these guys. And rather than them helping out their people who are impoverished and are struggling, they take it, and then they eventually leave, sometimes with billions of dollars. So the donations come from various countries. Fundraisers began in the United States uh, for Hamas. Uh, Hamas leaders began to get their hands on some really big money. I'm still quoting here. One of the fundraisers was this guy named Dr. Musa Abu Marzuk, the number two man in Hamas. Uh, beginning in the 1990s, he began a fundraising campaign among wealthy U.S. Muslims. At the same time, founding several banking enterprises, he found himself in a conglomerate of 10 financial enterprises giving loans and making financial investments. He's an amazing financier. Okay, well, what kind of money are we talking about here? So 
Mazouk is considered one of Hamas's wealthy, wealthiest billionaires. Arab sources estimate his wealth somewhere between two and three billion dollars. Two and three billion dollars. The guy that you just saw on the screen, Khaled Mazal, supposedly worth a current $2.6 billion. Man, you want to talk about people that complain about like conservative grift, which they do all the time. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna tell you our promo code for Mike Lindell's pillow company a little bit here because some of you guys love that. And I will give you a code if you want to use it. I'm not saying anybody should go out and buy it, but here, let me throw this up on the thing. Let's let's do that. Let's do uh let's do a grift. Give me a full screen there, Ryan. There's our my pillow code if you want to go do it. I know Ryan's wearing the slippers right now. Uh, my folks sleep on their sheets. I know many of you guys like their products, towels, and so on. So you can use promo code Kyle. If you're into it, I'm not saying go out and buy it if you weren't going to, but if you want to, promo code K-Y-L-E will get you the same discount everybody else does. You don't have to use POSOs. You can use mine um, if you like. And apparently people are already using it, which I didn't realize. That's why it started off as a joke. I threw that thing on. And why, Kyle, why are you all over all the pillows? I don't know. Look at me. Here I am. I'm on all, I'm on all the towels. I just threw my camera up there a bunch of times. So you can use our pillow code, but look at these guys, $2.3 billion. $2.6 billion, somewhere between 2 and $5 billion invested by Egyptian and Persian Gulf banks. Some real estate projects in the Persian Gulf. Uh, another tycoon there was the uh, Hamas prime minister, Ishmael Hayenya. He's a scion of a family that came out of a refugee camp. His, his uh, capital is estimated at $4 million personally. That's not nearly as much as the billionaires, but the guy is like currently living in Gaza with that kind of money. And he has assets registered outside of his name and in his son-in-law's name, Nabil. And he has a dozen sons and daughters with, who are less known Hamas leaders. And they all have homes that are valued in the million dollar range. Even though they're in Gaza, there are some very, very expensive properties there. It's actually not a bad place to have some property if you're the guy who's controlling it. Let's pull up, uh, do we have the Jerusalem Post thing again? I think we do too. So topic number nine is going to show you uh, J-Post. This is a little bit more of a mainstream thing. Same thing. Progressives are harming Palestinians, not Israel. This is an opinion piece written by Josh Feldman. This goes back a couple years now. But by giving corrupt, oppressive, and extremist Palestinian leaders moral exemptions, progressives are merely exacerbating the daily hardships ex experienced by the Palestinians. They go into this article. It's not specifically about the wealth of the leaders of Palestine, but it does talk about it and it touches on the same numbers. You always want to see a couple different sourcings and different time spaced out. They're showing that this guy, Khalid Mashal, who's calling for a day of jihad, that he's a billionaire. And multiple people have said it. And, and folks that live in that area, we're seeing progressives. Isn't it always funny? The progressives that are always saying things like, oh, we need to share, we need to be more compassionate and so on. But then you have Bernie Sanders with three houses because every man in his 80s needs three houses, and he got it from his book deals. He's got it from his book deals, right? I mean, the commies are going to commie. It's super interesting to me that these highly aggressive, the opposite, the opposite of all the progressive values, people who are not going to be tolerant of homosexuality, who are not going to be tolerant of the weird transgender movements, they throw big-time money, big-time money at the Palestinians. And the Palestinians, rather than keeping it in the local area and contributing to the aid for all these poor, poor people that are struggling, they're having such a rough time in life, what are they doing? They're absconding with it. They're running off with it, just like Sam Bankman fried They're taking the money and they're running. It's an interesting thing. I think that is not unique by any means. It is not unique to, uh, to people on the political left. I think people on the political right have every bit as much of a uh, tendency towards corruption. I don't think we have that to be, we don't think that that's gonna be a unique situation for this particular political ideology. I think it's a human weakness, but it is pretty incredible that people leading the BDS movement, asking you to defund uh, stuff that's going on, have incredible amounts of money to advocate 
both for American political positions, and they are raising big-time dollars. They're raising money all the time. There's no coincidence to say that the 1975 UN resolution declaring that Zionism is a form of racism, which was the brainchild of Soviet propaganda and a trope increasingly popular in progressive circles. Think about this. I want you guys to just think about this. Zionism is a form of racism. Zionism is uh, sort of like an, uh, a Jewish-Israeli-centric thing that they think that there should be a state of Israel and the state of Israel should be a Jewish state. And, uh, and I'm hearing that over and over again in a pejorative way in Twitter spaces, which have been running with people in it by the thousands every single day. They are filled up big time. People just want to call it. They'll call you a Zionist because you don't agree with whatever their narrative. Meanwhile, the leading members of Hamas are running with big time cash and they are leaving the country. They're not hanging out there with their poor people and standing like honorable leaders, are they? No, they are not. Uh, Ryan's just telling me we've got over a thousand people watching now live on our show on Rumble. So if you're not seeing us live on Rumble, you can always join us at Kyle. Uh, what is it? Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live. That'll give you the live show of the day. And uh, if you are watching, we'd appreciate a thumbs up in there. Make sure it turns green. doesn't matter where you're watching, whatever app you're watching. If you're on TV or if you're watching on the web page, if you're watching it on the app on your phone, we do appreciate you as a viewer. I saw that uh, Eric Jason's out there riling you up in the chat again, as usual, and giving you the do not comply, but also make sure that you're smashing the like button. So we do appreciate all of you guys doing that. Let's, uh, let's keep pushing down some of these weird rabbit holes. How about a day of jihad? So the day of jihad concept, which was called for, I, I kind of been leading to it. They said that there should be mass violence in the streets. And they said specifically, and I'm going to see if I can find it in this particular article. I saw it on Twitter all over the place. And it, and it may be a, sometimes I question the, the translation. So I want to be real cautious about this. But the claim was, is that the gentleman from that video in the full version of it said, sometimes we need your money, which obviously he takes and runs off and lives nearby in Qatar. But right now, what we need is your body and your blood in this conflict. They're literally, overtly calling for violence. So you're an American who's concerned and you're worried about what's going on in your country. And you think, man, there's people that are yelling in the streets. We've got a bunch of political leftists. We've already seen what they'll do in 2020, 2021. These people are willing to go out there and burn things and get rowdy and get violent. And some of them are carrying weapons, not as many, but they've had MAGA Trump supporters shot and killed places like Portland and attacked in Seattle. So what does it look like when these wild animals decide to get stupid in Austin, Texas, in Dallas, Texas, in Oklahoma City, in Minneapolis, in Los Angeles, in Philly, in New York, in Washington, D.C.? Some of these places are not very gun friendly. Well, number one, this should tell you if they are going to get behind the progressive leftists, it's time for you to get the hell out of places that are dangerous to you. I get it. It's not fun. Let me just say, I am not preaching something that I cannot do myself. I left Washington, D.C. We moved to a little town in New Mexico. We decided that that wasn't a great place either. We sold our house when we left the FBI, which I didn't necessarily want to do. I went to Arizona. We moved to Texas. My family has moved more times in the last five to 10 years. My wife and I were just laughing about it. We've been married for over 10 years now, and all that has been moving like a tumbleweed. And so is it fun? No. Is it a major hassle? Yes. Is it a burden that haunts me at night that I'm going to have to pack up everything I own and go somewhere better? Yeah, of course. But think about what you would be willing to do for your children. You want to live in a place where they're willing to, to, to back a team, an invading army, of a force of people that are, that are going to come and do violence to you, and they're going to give them impunity. They're going to let them do dangerous stuff. Now, I'm a free speech absolutist. I'm 100% behind. If you think that Palestine is your guy, if you want to get behind that fighter, choose your fighter, Israel or Hamas, and you want to be the Hamas team, knock yourself out. Like Say it all day long. You want to start getting violent and going after and calling for jihad and saying that you're going to start carrying weapons and killing people? I think you're going to run into a bulk word of Americans. There's 400 million guns in this country. They are owned by all of you. 
I own 1 million. So I don't know who owns the other 399 million of them, but apparently there's some of you out there. So I would say that this Friday might be a day that we push back just a little bit where you can constitutionally open carry, let people know, but also just avoid major cities. This is really easy. You don't make yourself a target. You don't make yourself a victim. You live to fight another day. The there is There's certainly some movement on both sides, left and right, that is sympathetic to Israel because there's a lot of money that's involved in going into the Israeli war effort. You don't have to be part of that. I recommend you not. But if you want to open carry, my buddy said, should we be open carrying PDWs? This came from an FBI agent who's a friend of mine, um, one of my good buddies. I'm going to actually quote him directly. If you guys will bear with me, me pull this sucker up. I like waking up to these kind of text messages. It says, National Day of Jihad? How about open carry? National Day of PDWs, ARs, shotguns, and anything else you want to put on your belt. Yep, that's the move. Just make yourself not a victim. Nobody goes looking for trouble with the guy that looks like he's ready to handle the trouble. So be that guy, be that gal, carry a weapon, concealed or otherwise, and prepare yourself. So all that's being said, we talked about opportunity costs. We talked about what you're not paying attention to. Um, you know what else you're not paying attention to? Pull up topic number seven real quick. This is just a Twitter thread. I'm going to recommend you guys go to Twitter, or if it's on True Social, you can find her. This is Sarah McAbee, real, uh, the real J6 Sarah. You guys remember Sarah was on our show. She talked about her husband, Colton. He was a law enforcement officer that was involved in trying to help cops on the day of. He's been convicted on all accounts. How many counts was he against? I think he had like seven counts. Did you see? Do you want to scroll and show me deeper into that thread, Ryan? Because I'm fairly confident that uh, there was like seven or eight charges they had against him. He was convicted on all, all counts this week in D.C. And that's what you're not hearing about. Isn't that something? You've got guys who were legitimately on camera. They were saying that uh, they knew he was trying to help them. And in the meantime, there we go. We're going to scroll through. We're going to show you right here. Officers have even testified thanking him for his help. It's sad. It's really sad stuff. So Colton's going to be sentenced at some point here. The stark reminder of injustices within our society. Again, opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of you paying attention to Hamas and Israel is that you are not paying attention to the fact that they continue to convict and sentence J6 defendants, including those who are not violent, including those who are really helpful, who are helpful to law enforcement on that day, people who are sitting law enforcement officers. It's it's pretty nauseating. And uh, my, my appearance with Owen Schroyer the other day was very similar. It's the same kind of thing. What other things are they hiding from you? What other things are you not seeing? How about we pull up topic number 11? This is probably where we're going to land this thing. I've got a couple of videos we'll show you as well, just as we as we wrap up here. But um, topic 11, RFK. Oh, man, you guys remember him? He's going to break out. Now, this is going to be really interesting because it may cut against both sides. But RFK Jr., as reported by CNN, not above the fold, is uh, running a pretty capable independent campaign. He's been trying to run against uh, Joe Biden. He's definitely been taking some of the, the, the wind out of the sails. And he's certainly more interesting to most, let's say, um, liberals who are not progressive leftists. And so what you see here is a little bit of a piece about how he's pulling very high for an independent. He's got all of the uh, the apparatus working against him, but it sounds like he's going to announce an independent run. Now, that's going to cut against Trump, too, because there's plenty of people that are kind of in the never Trump cap, even though they're conservative. And so what is RFK saying? He's been working on, they, they keep talking about debunking conspiracies or that he's going to be mostly inconsequential, but uh, he is going to be interesting because he's going to pull from both sides. Most times when you see a third-party candidate run, they don't actually... They don't actually do a lot of good for the Republican candidates, for the conservative candidates. 
they usually pull things away. I'm thinking of like Ross Perot's in my lifetimes that have been really capable. Gary Johnson was probably someone who actually pulled a little bit from Trump's. But uh, RFK is going to be an interesting animal because he's going to pull from both of them in a lot of ways. He's going to pull away from Trump because he's saying that he wants to uh, defund the FBI, that he's got major problems with the way that the intelligence uh, state works and all of these pieces. And then he's also talking about how, um, you know, the vaccine was a problem. And many of you know that that's, that's kind of a black eye that Trump won't run away from. The vaccine creation and the way that it was funded and the way that he continued to leave Fauci in government, for good or for worse, doesn't matter if Trump's your guy. That's the thing that he's going to have to answer for to, to voters that are in my camp, which is like, you just have to disavow things that were not good. You don't stand by bad decisions. And if you can't do that, then people like Bobby Kennedy are more interesting. Um, he's, you know, you've got a major poll showing here right now from Reuters showing uh, Donald Trump polling at about 40 if they were to hold the election today with these three, Biden at 38 and RFK at 14%, which is a pretty serious matchup. That is a pretty high uh, poll. Most people see like, you know, 1% end up going to a third party candidate. So that's what you're not hearing about if you're paying attention to Gaza, Gaza, Gaza in Israel, Israel, Israel. Um, the last little thing that I want to say is that there's an ongoing conflict. We brought up President Trump. There's an ongoing conflict happening right now in New York. Some of us are being distracted from it. And this is the other piece we're being distracted from. Video three, we've got this woman who is a political hack running a victimless fraud case in the, the civil courts in New York trying to take down Donald Trump. He's still fighting for his freedom. He's still fighting for his financial freedom and his political life because this lady has gone full bore. Even though we're focusing on other things, this is what's happening. And she's releasing these staged press releases, which are bizarre. Let's do video number three. Go ahead and run that one for me. We can hear this nauseating uh, chick from, from New York talk about how she's going to take down uh, Donald Trump. We just concluded the seventh day of our trial against Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and other defendants. One of those defendants is Alan Weisselberg, the former chief financial officer at the Trump Organization. Yesterday, we asked Mr. Weisselberg to confirm who had final sign-off on the fraudulent statements of financial condition at the center of our case. You know what he said? Good question. And it was a good question, one of more than 100 that Mr. Weisselberg could not answer. But Mr. Weisselberg was able to remember that Donald Trump himself reviewed the statements. And today, our witness, Nicholas Haig, a former risk manager at Deutsche Bank, testified that he relied on those statements of financial condition to approve loans to the Trump Organization. Hundreds of millions of dollars in loans with unfairly advantageous terms. For years, Donald Trump evaded justice for his repeated and persistent fraud. And as we continue to present our case, we will show just how much he unfairly benefited as a result. Oh, it was so good. And she's such a good actress, isn't she? She's not really uh, easy on the eyes in many ways, and she is not very easy to listen to because she just sounds sugary and gross and fake. That is what is going on in that world. That's what that's what a police state looks like, folks. That's a police state. I went on uh, InfoWars yesterday. We talked about police state. We talked about some of the details of that. And uh, as one of our subscribers, EFTX, said in the chat, if you mute the quote-unquote current thing, you guys remember the current thing, I support the current thing, whatever it is, I su it's Ukraine, it's Israel, I support the current thing. If you mute the current thing, you're going to find out the stuff that's in the background. 
we uh, we had an interesting interview with um, the QAnon shaman, as, as he's been called, or the American shaman, Jake Chansley. And one of the people that he said he was very interested in was Carlos Castaneda. I remember very explicitly reading Carlos Castaneda books when I was a kid. And one of the ways that he talked about seeing what he called the truth or being able to discern truth in nature was not looking at an item. If you were looking at a tree, you wouldn't look at the tree. You wouldn't look for the branches and the leaves. But uh, a way of gaining power was to look at the shadow and to be able to see the tree for the shadow. In many ways, that's the way you, that's the way you look at an eclipse, right? You look off from the eclipse. You don't look at the eclipse. You go blind, theoretically. I don't think that's actually true, but I think it's an old wives' tale. But you're not supposed to look directly into the eclipse. That's supposed to be a major problem for your eyes. You're trying to focus on dark and light at the same time, and it causes a lot of eye stress. You can look off and see it in your peripheral. And by seeing the things in the peripheral, you pay attention to things that really come into relief. By staring at the shadows, you can see the tree. By muting the current thing... You forego the opportunity cost of whatever they're throwing at you full bore, that that blue lighted energy that is trying to distract you, the sleight of hand that is being played, and you can see what is going on. And what is going on right now is they are covering up a disastrous and ridiculous trial. Anybody who knows anything about the valuation of assets knows that you don't go and decide, like, whatever numbers are listed on those things, nobody was defrauded. He took out loans against them. He paid the loans back. No one is saying that he, like, bankrupted a bank, right? Like, that actually takes someone like a Sam Bankman freed. That takes somebody actually pulling money out of assets that are that have been valued in a certain way, which nobody is saying that he didn't have a legitimate asset values. They pumped them up and then they drained all the money out of it. That's the real frauds. That's the stuff that's going on. In the meantime, they're going after Trump. Worth noting. Let's go ahead and play that trailer for police state. Like I said, the police state is when the mechanisms of government are turned against the regular people. I want you guys to remember this. It's coming out very soon. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, October 23rd to 25th in theaters all around the country. They've added more theaters. There will be some options to be able to pay for it for streaming later on. But to be able to to make this the rousing success that it's going to be, and it is going to be a blow that scares the hell out of the deep state, we are being told, me and Steve Friend and others, I've had attorneys for FBI employees tell us, that they are wasting as much as a million dollars a year on salaries of FBI employees that are investigating me and Steve and Dinesh and Dan Bongino and the others. They are investigating a movie. Let you just think about that for a second. Let that sink in, that your federal tax dollars are going in to fund an investigation into a film that is exposing government malfeasance from open source information. They're so scared of what we're saying here because they have no idea that the information is already available to you. We've just curated it for you. Let's run the clip real quick, folks. Check out Police State. It's policestatefilm.net. Ryan, let's see that trailer. All that you do for us. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. Our focus is shifting. 
Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. I know a lot of you are just saying it gets your blood pressure up. PoliceStateFilm.net. There's a longer trailer there if you want to watch three minutes. If you need a uh, like a pre-workout to get yourself hyped up, that will get it done. Uh, the trailer is there, both trailers. PoliceStateFilm.net to get your tickets. And it is available uh, being shown in theaters all over the country, including here in Austin, Texas, just south of me, on October 23rd, 25th. That's coming up. That's actually going to be the day before Owen Schroyer has to turn himself in for free speech, which we covered yesterday on InfoWars. All these things definitely out there and really relevant to you, I think. I think uh, if you listen closely to that to that trailer, you hear Nick Searcy, who's from Justified, and he's been in a bunch of other things. He does an outstanding job of being a menacing government figure. He did a great job acting. He's, a, he's an excellent and talented individual. And you'll notice there's a lot of tactical scenes in there. All of them are done with the choreography and the blocking and the proper tactics executed because Steve Friend and I helped consult on it. You're going to see real FBI-type language. You're going to hear real banter, like a real office that goes on, the real things that people talk about. But what you're also going to see is a real picture from real cases going back 20 years. How did we get here? How did we get to the point where the country I grew up in would invade the country that we live in today? How did we get there? You're going to see it in policestatefilm.net. Go get your tickets for the Police State Film, again, in conjunction with Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Bongino. Um, I, I labeled today's episode... That truth is always the first casualty. I may have actually pinched part of that from a guy named Paul Joseph Watson, who just did a video. I want to play that. It's video number one. This is some of the narrative that is already falling apart. You remember there was a raver. She was apparently a German citizen, but she also lived in Israel. She was at a peace festival. She was shot in the back of the head and killed. Now we're finding out she might be alive. It's no better off, by the way, to be alive in a, in a, in a hospital in Gaza. The baby's being beheaded. They're already walking away from that narrative. You're already hearing people run from it, even though Fox News did their hard-hitting coverage. Folks, all of this stuff is going to tend to fall apart. You're going to see a lot of it fall apart because it's not true from the outset and it's all emotional language. I want to play this video number one starting at about 30 seconds in and let you guys have a taste of this. You can find this on InfoWars channel. Actually, I think they played it yesterday as well. Let's hear from uh, from Paul Joseph Watson. Have become somewhat more nuanced. Sharni Luke, one of the victims of the barbaric assault on the music festival, initially feared murdered and dead after those horrendous scenes where she lay prostrate in the back of a truck being spat on. But it now appears she's actually alive, albeit in critical condition, receiving treatment in a hospital in Gaza. And that's not propaganda coming from Hamas militants, it's coming from her own mother. Wir haben jetzt weitere Informationen, dass Shani am Leben ist, aber eine schwere Kopfverletzung hat und kritische Situation ist. In a horrible twist of fate, Luke's life may now be in danger as a result of Israel's decision to cut off food, power and water to Gaza as a form of collective punishment. The region's last power supplier just got cut off with hospitals now running on generators with very little time left. What happened to Luke was intertwined with reports of Hamas militants raping women as part of their attacks. However, claims of 
mass rape, which dominated news reports over the weekend, have since been declared to be unsubstantiated by the LA Times. But then again, Hamas terrorists were mowing down women with machine guns, so are we really going to believe that they thought rape was beyond the pale? Then there was the ultimate horror, reports that 40 babies were beheaded in Israeli border towns during the Hamas assault. Israeli journalist Oren Ziv said he didn't see any evidence of beheaded babies during the media tour of Kafar Azar. An Israeli army spokesperson told Andalo News Agency they had no information concerning allegations that Hamas beheaded babies. But do we really need to know the specific amount of babies that were beheaded? We know entire families were slaughtered as they ate breakfast. Is that not bad enough? And again, this whole thing is a depraved ethnic blood feud. Picture the most horrifying thing imaginable, and it's probably already happened. Now the Israelis have said their airstrikes are designed to cause maximum damage, not maximum accuracy. Meaning we're guaranteed to see much more of what started all this in the first place. The deaths of thousands more innocent civilians. While That's each side right continues there. to cynically weaponize propaganda to entrench the narrative that they... So there it is, folks. I mean, casualty of war. It's truth. It's what actually happened. You're always going to have to be skeptical about this. As we said yesterday, if you need to revisit it, go look at the legacy of COVID. When you had institutions that lost your trust, they should not regain it simply because there's an emotional trigger that brings you to it. That's my recommendation to you. Sit it out. I know uh, Dan, my buddy Dan Bongino has committed pretty aggressively to this, but he also has a rule, the Bongino rule. And I think it's longer than 24 hours when it comes to this war type stuff. We don't actually know what's happening there. There's almost no good way to verify most of this footage. You can debunk some of it, but a lot of it's coming out in these stories. Who knows where they're coming from? If they're not multi-sourced and they're not somehow independently cooperated, which is almost impossible for you to do. It's certainly impossible for us to do it from our end. I just want you guys to be aware it's out there. That's what's going on. I thank all of you for joining us live here on the Kyle Serafin Show. Again, rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. We stream live on Rumble. We stream live on Truth. No, we don't do Truth Social, do we? Pretty soon, hopefully. We're on X. We're on Facebook. If you happen to be one of those people, there's a couple of you watching on YouTube as well. We appreciate all of you guys viewing it. If you want to join our live chat, chat it is here on rumble.com. In fact, Rumble sent me this. Look at this. They sent me a sticker that says I am a creator. Apparently, I am a Rumble creator. That's cool. Um, <laughs> it's swag. It's more than Ryan Matta ever got from YouTube, he said. It's more than they ever sent him. But uh, we do stream live from Liberty Hill, Texas true, here on weekdays. Isn't that sad? They, they don't send you anything, right. Ryan? No, I was gonna, supposed to get my plaque at 100K, but then they told me I uh, created dangerous content. So it is I dangerous. was denied my 100K plaque. Well, the truth can be dangerous, you all. You can find us in the live chat there. We want to thank you for all of you. There's over 750 now reviews coming in on the Apple the Apple Review Channel on the podcast app. So we ask you guys to continue to do that. We keep pushing it. This one is from Pinchy Rojo. I don't know what Pinchy Rojo is, but I like it. Five plus stars. Greetings. Thank you for starting the Suspendables. I'm retired after 32 years as a Leo. That's a law enforcement officer. One of those years was on an FBI gang task force. Some of the best cops I worked with were there, all retired now. Go figure. I guess that makes me a recovering pseudo-fed. Can you tell me if pseudo-feds have to do the same 12-step programs as FBI agents? Thanks again for this show and for standing up for what is right. Uh, Pinchy Rojo? Yeah, of course. The 12 steps. The first, the first step is admitting that there is, in fact, a problem. And the second step is knowing that the FBI is part of it. So thanks for all of you for being here. You guys can check us out. Share the uh, share the content if you like it. Follow Ryan Matta at Ryan Matta Media. I, it's at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. He is Ryan Matta on True Social. And you can find his channel in the mornings before this show, the Ryan Matta channel, which is uh, doing Waking Up America or Waking Up. Is it Waking Up America or Waking Up With America? What is it? 
Waking Up America. Waking Up America. And then you guys can come here after you're all revved up with whatever kind of wild things Ryan gets you going with. We will uh, we will continue to ground your plane and make sure that you see the truth behind the lies and see the sleight of hand <laughs> as it's happening in real time. Uh, you can also see him on Matta, M-A-T-T-A, Fact, on LFA TV at 2 p.m. Thanks, folks. We'll see you again tomorrow for Friendly Friday. Look forward to some Steve Friend. we got some bombshell allegations coming and some revelations from inside the FBI. FBI security personnel, tune in tomorrow and future. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Give us a thumbs up and a like because uh, the FBI is going to want to know what we're revealing. We're giving out unclassified information that is America's information. All right, we'll see you all tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Sarah and shows streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.